Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Hey, before we read our passage this morning, I want let's go on. Uh, I want I want to, you to imagine something with me, okay? Just uh, imagine, imagine that you're a Christian living back when Luke wrote this gospel. And in your lifetime, you've seen some really, I mean, some pretty amazing things. But other than the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and uh, 3,000 people repented and believed Jesus on the spot, uh, like other, other than that moment, the church, as you know it at least, has grown, I mean, it's kind of slow, right? Convert here, household there. Maybe you've heard 50 people are meeting in Lydia's house in Philippi. Uh, Ten or so have been visiting with Paul in his jail cell in Rome. Like, like, you believe that Jesus is the hero. You truly believe he's the Savior. You believe what he did on the cross and the resurrection will transform the world. And yet the world around you tells a different story. Right? Though Jesus has saved you, you don't feel very safe. You know, the Roman authorities, the Jewish leaders have torn families apart. Uh, you're starting to hear that they're even starting to kind of turn spouses against each other. Uh, every week you gather in your little house church, and you don't know if that new family that's sitting across the way, if, if they're true believers who just showed up in town, or if they're spies sent from the Pharisees to kind of snitch on your whole bunch. Every day you wake up thinking, this could be my last day. And I mean, compared to the Roman Empire, your church, it seems so small, right? Far from being a force of good in the culture, you're meeting in secret, right? Sometimes even underground. Far from the kingdom growing, it, it's, at times it hardly even appears to be visible. It's almost imperceptible, barely hanging on. And so, with your head down, possibly discouraged, you go to your little church, your little church to worship on the Lord's Day. And there you pray and you sing. And as we've been doing, you're reminded of what Jesus has done for you. You're reminded of his love. And then finally, it comes time for the gospel to be read. And there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But your little church only has a copy of Luke. And in light of all of your doubt, all of the uncertainty, the pastor opens to Luke 13 and says... Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus. He reads it. He rolls the scroll up. And he says something like, Y'all today, I don't know if he says y'all, but y'all. <laughs> today it's especially important that we remember what Jesus taught when he taught about kingdom growth. He's, what, what seems to be the smallest of seeds will one day grow to be a large tree, so large that, that birds from every corner of the world, nation, people from every corner of the world will make their nest in it. And so rest in that promise. Can we rest knowing that what is hidden now will one day be revealed? That what is now only whispered in our little gatherings will one day be shouted from, from the rooftops. One day the whole earth will be filled with the beautiful news of the kingdom of our God. And that's the end of the sermon. And at that, 
you as a once discouraged first century Christian head back home, better equipped to face an uncertain present in light of a certain future, right? Okay. Well, Westminster, this morning, okay, that's the emotional space in which we approach this passage. And of course, like, yes, we, we may not be the early church, but we still wrestle with a lot of the same questions, don't we? The same concerns that, that we live in a world that's lost its way, that calls good evil and evil good. And, and to that, or add to that, our world says, hey, look, if you have what it takes, if, you, if you've got the goods, if, if you really are relevant, then you'll grow and you'll grow fast, right? You'll go viral. You know, Post Malone, those of you who know him, uh, Post Malone was like this nobody kid from Texas, right? Just nobody. Posted a rap song on SoundCloud. One month later, he's got recording contracts all over the place. And he, he was on his way to being one of the biggest musical acts of the decade. Just like that, right? Um, this week, I heard of a church plant that doubled in size every year for the first four years. So every year, double, 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 double. Uh, or a few weeks ago, you know, remember, I mean, some guy preached a sermon at Ashbury, and a, a, allegedly, we're still watching this, uh, like a match to gasoline, it's just like revival broke out. And, and, you know, those things happen from time to time, right? These, these single incendiary moments in which things just blow up, explosive growth. And yet, there are loads of churches, right? There are loads of pastors who faithfully preach the gospel of grace for decades. And the perceived lack of growth can be just defeating, right? Uh, it, it can feel, and I think I probably said this at times, it feels like you know, you're, you're casting the gospel out and it is like you're throwing a ping pong ball off a brick wall. Right? It's just nothing. Um, well, never mind numerical growth. You know, a better question is spiritual growth happening. You know, just for us, Westminster, are, are we progressing in grace? Uh, is, there, is there visible fruit of us killing sin, right? Of us even being more aware of our sin, um, of, of us pursuing the Jesus way, even if it's incremental? And I don't know about you, but I know often in my life, it can seem like there are times where it's like two steps forward and like one and a half steps back, right? And the growth seems so slow and so small. Sometimes the sins that plague us years ago still plague us today, right? And far from feeling like a force of kingdom good in our town, you know, our, our mission statement is we're going to influence the Delta. And it's like, dude, are we even influencing our street? You know, instead of being like a force for good in our town, often it's as the hymn writer put it, the wrong can seem all so strong. And then we watch the Grammys, you make that mistake, right? You watch the Grammys, we listen to the theological train wreck that's often found in country music. We, we, we see the trends in our greater culture and we're struck with the reality that far from like a Christian nation, dude, we're living in the belly of the beast. And it's very easy to be discouraged. And y'all, that's why we need God's word this morning. And so to the pessimistic Christian, even if there is such a thing as that, to the pessimistic Christian who say, it, it ain't ever going to happen. I, it, I just can't see it. Jesus gives us some word pictures this morning to say, oh, yes, it is. And so this morning is a call off the ledge 
of the way of the world, and it's an invitation back to follow the way of our, our God. Okay? And so with that, let's, let's dive in. The words of our Lord Jesus. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew up and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, Jesus said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, these next few moments as we, as we walk through this passage, we ask that your word would penetrate uh, deep uh, into hard hearts, uh, that it would come uh, like a blowtorch to frozen hearts. Um, Lord, that it would come like a shock of, of joy uh, to apathetic hearts, uh, sad hearts. Uh, Lord, may you capture us by your word, your spirit. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so that we're all on the same page as we get going. When, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he, he wasn't talking about this geographical kingdom. Now, he, he's not talking about making the political nation of Israel great again. But no, he's talking about, when we say kingdom of God, he's talking about the rule and reign of God in the life of his followers. You know, that if we are in Jesus, then, then he is our king and we are citizens in his kingdom, living beneath his reign, and, and we're living for his glory, for the glory of our king in all that we do. And so this is it's, it's a massive concept, right? That as we, we cut our yards, right? Something as simple as that, we are, we're ordering the chaos and we're making the kingdom beautiful for our, our coming king. Um, it means, uh, students, as you go to school, um, as you go through all, all, all the classes that you go through, you are actually being trained, like you're learning to better serve the kingdom in the future. You know, from interactions with others to work, all the way down to play and leisure, like we, we do all of that as beloved citizens of the kingdom of God. And so in verse 18, when Jesus asks such a massive, what's the kingdom of God like? Such a massive question about a massive topic. What's the kingdom of God? How shall I compare it? Um, and it seems pretty obvious that he would talk about something big, right? That he would say something like, the kingdom is like the, the General Sherman sequoia tree. It's the, the biggest tree in the world. It puts everything else in its shade, right? It's kind of like winning the championship, right? That would have made sense. But Jesus flipped the script and he used this opportunity to remind us of the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom, which that's our, the first big takeaway. Instead of, of large, Jesus went the opposite direction <laughs> to, to the then smallest known seed that they would have planted in their gardens. A little mustard seed. Alistair Begg said that when Jesus said that, surely someone in the crowd said, see, I told you that this whole, this whole thing is doomed. Mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's, it's so small. It's seemingly insignificant. It's just like a throwaway. And yet over time, it grows exponentially to be the largest, most dominant of the garden plants. So big, in fact, that birds can come and make nests in them. And so this is what the prophet Zechariah meant 
in that gospel principle to not despise the day of small beginnings. I, I tell you, I forget that all the time. I, I hate small beginnings. Um, I, I want God to do great things. And like, if he could just go ahead and do it now, that'd be even better. And yet we read the Bible and we see it's like when thing, like things going wrong means God's right on schedule. He breaks us to heal us. He humbles us to exalt us. You know, he uses men as good as dead and barren women to birth nations. You know, little runts to be kings. You know, even the arrival of, of Jesus, the God-man, was like a mustard seed, wasn't it? It's, you know, the Christmas story. It happened in a small barn, born to a teen mom and a blue-collar dad who at one time wasn't even sure he wanted to go through with the wedding. And Jesus was exiled to Egypt before growing up in tiny nowhere Nazareth. People thought, Does, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then when Jesus gathered his disciples, it's almost as if God stacked the deck against himself on purpose to show us his power. He used weakness and disaster and nothings to show us kingdom math, which is this, that, that nothing plus God outnumbers everything. They were weak and elped and fearful. And yet from that mustard seed of a group would come millions and millions and millions of, of Jesus' followers. So Jesus tells us that, that real spiritual growth never begins externally. Like it, it doesn't begin by just whoo, going viral. No, the first thing a farmer does is take that seed and he doesn't post it on Instagram, right? He doesn't get the, the, angles, you know, the angles right. No, what does a farmer do with that seed? He buries it, right? Buries it underground. And there, similar to the delicious smoked brisket, right? Low and slow is where the real magic happens, right? And so if growth doesn't happen down there, under the surface, then there is no real growth. When the same way the gospel is sown out, you know, the, the gospel is shared, and the gospel gets buried in our hearts, where it grows. And in fact, in, in John, Jesus used the same metaphor to tell what he came to do. Remember, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Well, what does that produce? What, what's, what's he talking about? You know, throughout the Old Testament, this, this concept of birds and, you know, coming into the branches. Um, in the Old Testament, God's people were always seen as a tree like a tree that was going to grow up uh, so large that the that peoples of, of all throughout the earth were going to come and gather around this tree and they could see Yahweh as God. And here Jesus is saying, I, I am that seed that was put into the ground. And because of my death and, and then resurrection, my people, right, the church that was birthed from that is the tree grown into the seed. Uh, the church today is where all the prodigals and the lost and the broken can fly to. And it's interesting the caricature of church that we have in America. They don't fly there so that they can be told how horrible they are. Though we are horrible, we already know. Right? But they fly to receive grace, hope, and healing and to receive salvation from their sins. You know, like we come to that tree, we come to the church, we come to the gospel, and we're reminded of how great our God is. 
And so the kingdom is so counterintuitive, right? I mean, at times, the growth can be hidden. It's under the surface. Uh, But as my mama used to always say, don't be hooting at it. Don't be hooting at that. Don't hoot at it, right? Uh, The point isn't whether it grows quickly or it grows slowly. No, the point is it grows. It is growing, period. Which then brings us to the second reality. Um, Not only is the gospel counterintuitive, but it's also a catalyst, a catalyst second. Uh, Jesus says the kingdom, that that life under his reign in the kingdom is kind of like yeast. It's It's like leaven. Yes, it's small. But just a little bit can be a huge catalyst for change. In verse 20, here Jesus is tapping into something they all understood. You know, sometimes the disciples would pull Jesus aside after his teaching, be like, Jesus, what did you mean when you said that? But they didn't have to do that here because they knew what he was talking about. Because this whole idea of like baking bread, that was their just a daily scene in their households. Everybody made daily bread. Uh, it was, it's been said that when a Jewish girl got married, her mother would give her a small piece of leavened dough as, as a as starter. And from that one gift, the bride would bake bread for her new household throughout her entire married life. That, that one small gift would affect the entire culture of, of their home. Okay. Uh, I've, look, I've never made bread, just... So I'm I'm going to just go off what I have been told about making bread. If you've ever made bread, you go, you mix the yeast into the the dough, the the flour. Uh, That yeast is totally hidden, right? Sometimes you may have even forgotten you put yeast in there. It is nothing about that dough that makes you think there's anything alive in there. And yet you you let it sit there for a while, right? And maybe you come back after a while and like, man, something, that, that, Yeast on the inside has changed the complete makeup of that dough from the inside out. All right, in other words, Jesus is saying, yes, it may feel like the world is winning. It may feel like your influence as a Christian, you know, at your work, at school, wherever, at times is is basically imperceptible. But just like leaven the influence of Christ and his followers will have a disproportionate effect on the world and serve as a, like a major catalyst, powerfully affecting every part of the world for the kingdom. I think I've shared this before. An article mentioned uh, something that 23 years ago, uh, this, this researcher named Robert Woodbury, um, and researcher in sociology at the University of North Carolina, was met by one of the most puzzling questions, at least in in modern history. And the question was that he was dealing with, okay, as you look around the world, why do some nations have stable representative democracies where citizens enjoy the rights to vote, the rights to speak, the rights to assemble freely? Why do those nations have good health care, economic growth, while neighboring countries, like right next door, with similar geography, cultural background, background, similar natural resources, why do they suffer under authoritarian rulers, internal conflict, and while having significantly poor health and economic development? Well, he decided that that was an important question to answer. And so he was going to dedicate his life to figuring it out. And so after years of research and traveling the globe and running data report after data report after data report, uh, some of y'all may remember what he found. 
because his finding it shocked scholars, especially secular scholars. But he found that after all the different variables had been accounted for, that the greatest, the single greatest reason for the differences was Christianity. He found that the countries where missionaries particularly got a foothold in were astronomically more likely to have better education, better health care, better economy, more stable governments because the Christians came in and they established churches. And these churches preached the gospel. And then those members of those churches went out and they sought to serve the community, to influence the community in the gospel, which then meant building the first hospitals and the first pharmacies and the first schools. And like leaven, the gospel message was a catalyst that affected everything. You know, the, the rising tide of Christian missionaries caused all the ships in those countries to rise, whereas the countries with no missionary presence floundered. And so Christianity Today, this is the article that was summarizing this, they, they, they summarized Woodbury's report by saying, in short, if you want a blossoming government today, a blossoming democracy, the solution is simple. Just find a time machine, if you can pull that off. Find a time machine, go back and find a 19th century missionary, and then just send them to that country. And then you would have, you would have that. Okay. As we start kind of winding down here, as Christians, we aren't called to get in our holy huddles on Sundays, right? And just stay, kind of stay there. But we're called to go out and follow Christ in, in the arenas of our life, our careers, our industries, our families, our neighborhoods, our schools. And now, I, I, having said that, I, I want to be super clear that the takeaway this morning isn't going to be just, like, just go and, and be leavened. Go and influence the world. No, to be a Christian is to first be forgiven and loved in Christ. It's to first to be set apart by God as his beloved child. And then the Holy Spirit makes you leaven. Does that make sense? You are made alive in this dead world. So the message isn't, you know, go be the change. Rah, rah. You know, change makers on three, ready, break, now go. No, the message is if you are in Christ and only in Christ, then you have been changed. Now go be who you are in him, wherever you are. The fruit of the Spirit in you will affect the world around you. Okay, so what does that mean for our lives? How do we interact with our neighbors? How do we interact with our schoolmates? How do we do life? All right, well, the prophet Jeremiah wrote uh, to a group of people in a very similar situation, right? They were God's people, but they, they weren't really living in God's land, and so they had this question. The question came up for them, all right, what do we do here, right? Should we just kind of circle the wagons and kind of do our own like Christian version of, of like do our Christian version of the Grammys and our Christian version of Hollywood and our Christian, ver like should we just do that um, and just kind of boycott everything else? Well, here's what the Lord told them through Jeremiah. It's a familiar passage. I'm sure you know it. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
take wives and have sons and daughters. Um, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Don't just, don't just huddle up. Multiply there and increase. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. In other words, though we are not of this world as Christians, like we are in this world, right? We can't, like we are in this world. And God calls us to follow him by putting down roots and being part of the social fabric of the community and not, not just doing our own little thing, but contributing to the flourishing of where he has planted us. And as we've said before, of all people, Christians have always had the most robust theology of place, that we grow where God places us. Eugene Peterson wrote again, The aim of the person of faith is not to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible. To deal with the reality of life, to discover truth, create beauty, act out love. The only place you have to be human is where you are right now. Like the only opportunity you will ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances you are provided this very day. The house you live in, the, the family you find yourself in, the joy you have been given, the weather conditions that prevail at this moment. So we, we don't run from the world, right? We, we discern it, we discern the culture, and in Christ we seek the good of the world in which we live. And, and you know, typically, the, the more Calvinistic types to this, like, we don't know what to do with the arts, right? Um, so we rarely talk about arts. Um, and yet this week I was going through the role of our, our congregation, and I was just reminded again that per capita, we have a pretty high number of artists in our congregation. Uh, painters, potters, photographers, woodworkers, designers, musicians. And so I just want to just super briefly mention something here. I, I know in the art world, a Christian, as a Christian, you can feel like a fish out of water, right? Like you don't really belong here. Well, Jesus invites you not to be a fish out of water, but to be leavened in the bread, okay? to use what talents God has given you to remind others of what is truly true and good and beautiful. Okay, so that, I mean, that's just one takeaway. Uh, and, and that's just for artists, but it, of course it can be applied in whatever arena you find yourself in life. Um, second takeaway, in this passage we find that in the gospel there are no small people and no small places. You know, it's very tempting to think, that if we're going to be, if we're going to influence the kingdom, then we need to be a celebrity, right? And we need to get Tim Tebow, or we got to get that guy Kevin Sorbo. We got to get him over here stat, right? And we got to have a huge event so everybody will come. Um, but there we go again, aren't we? Thinking that the kingdom of God works the same way the kingdom of the world works. And we think that to really be somebody, we got to really do something. But what was it again that turned the world upside down? Because we keep forgetting. What was it again? Mustard seed? Yeast? Ragtag band of nobodies armed with what? The simple gospel. And that was what turned the world upside down. And so moms, I, I know that 
there were days that you feel like you were just drowning in the mundane. Some of us are just drowning in the mediocrity of life. Dads, students, farmers, professionals, no matter how lonely, lowly or how unseen or how unflashy your life is, Jesus is telling us this morning that it is not insignificant for the kingdom, that your labor is not in vain. And though it may seem small, uncertain, or even hidden at times, Jesus says we can be sure that the kingdom is on the move. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for this. Father, thank you for this reminder because uh, very often um, it, it can be very easy to say, who, who in the world are we? Um, who am I? Like, I'm not Tim Keller. Uh, I'm not anybody big. Uh, Lord, who are we? But Lord, remind us that it's, it's not really us, but it's, it's the power of the gospel that goes forth. Lord, that just like a mustard seed, it grows exponentially, just like yeast. It permeates every, every ounce of that, that dough. Uh, Lord, may that be so in our life. And may the gospel spread and your lordship reign in every square inch of our lives. And Lord, may it, may it flow, may overflow the banks uh, and even influence our community. Father, we long to see your church full and we long to see it healthy and vibrant. Um, but Lord, in the meantime, just remind us of the simple gospel message uh, that though our sins, they are many, uh, your mercy's more. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.